We've all seen it. Fields of oilseed rape, that distinct yellow colour that can be seen for miles. But for how much longer? We've had a pretty devastating time for the last two seasons trying to establish oilseed rape. On the programme this week, we'll explore the problem of growing oilseed rape and why, in part of the country, many farmers are moving away from it. Also, again, weather-related, the vegetable shortage you can't fail to have noticed in the supermarket. Is it time we changed our eating habits and returned to eating the right veg at the right time of the year? Everything is dependent on the weather, irrespective of where it's grown and when it's grown. We are very, very dependent on the weather. Sunday, January 29th, 2017. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. It's just over a month ago now since DEFRA confirmed the first case of avian flu in England. A turkey farm in Lincolnshire found to have the disease that swept across mainland Europe. This week, a third farm in the county was identified, this time near Boston, with other cases also found around the country. It means the instructions to keep all birds indoors, whether domestic hens in the backyard or larger flocks on the farm, will continue for some time yet. For agriculture, there are serious implications. In Boston this week, nearly 20,000 turkeys will have been killed and compensation is only available for healthy birds that are slaughtered, not those found with the disease. It also means the term free-range could soon have to stop being used. Here's Alison Pratt from the NFU. What happens with the free-range definition, that's still to be seen. If Europe did decide that we had to extend the prevention zone beyond the 28th of February, uh, that would mean that free-range producers who had um, kept their birds inside would have to call those ber- those eggs barn eggs now and of course um, that has an impact on incomes as well so it's all up in the air it's a very difficult time for the whole poultry industry um, but we've got to get through it and I think we will get through it if everybody pulls together in the same direction and make sure that their biosecurity is as high as possible uh, and that this doesn't happen again um, on any of our poultry units or to our pet hens too this is a very um, virulent form of avian influenza they will look very poorly and may even die quite quickly um, they'll certainly go off their feed um, and they'll be looking very porky um, to use a veterinary phrase and it's um, you know as soon as you notice that your birds are poorly talk to your vet immediately um, obviously in a, if you're in a commercial flock um, you'll be looking at your birds very carefully and uh, and many times a day but I'd advise anybody even with a small number of birds to be um, very vigilant and report anything that you're not happy about. It's an infection in the wild bird population, that's how it's come to us. Um, The cold um, winter winter weather on the continent has meant that we've got more migratory birds coming to our shores um, and they carry the infection with them and I read somewhere not very recently that about one gram of infected bird faeces could be enough to kill up to a million domestic poultry. Um, It is very virulent so it's carried in their faeces. If you think about it, um, there's bird poo all over the place. Um, Wild gulls, wild ducks, um, they don't go to the loo, they just drop it where they are. So um, that's how it's uh, infected um, faeces is carried uh, to birds and it's very worrying that it's been happening all over the country now. It's obviously in the wild bird population. It's uh, worth reiterating again, there's no risk to human health from avian flu. But if you do find dead birds, wild birds maybe, or your own flock, then it is important you contact DEFRA as soon as possible and continue to keep your birds indoors as well. as if we're to stand any chance of stopping the disease from spreading yet further. 
Now, we've spoken before about the threats of pests such as the cabbage flea beetle and the serious effect they can have on crops. Well, that's been really brought to the fore in some parts of the country, with 10% of last year's crops simply removed and replaced with other crops such as winter and spring beans instead. The southeast of England was worst affected by the problem last year, where dry conditions, the driest since October 1972, added to the pest control problems. One survey claimed that around 70,000 hectares had been wiped out in that part of the country alone. Well, Andrew Blasey represents prime agriculture in Suffolk, Cambridge and Essex. So is there any point in carrying on with oilseed rape, Andrew? Well, I think uh, for us in the southeast, um, in, in the area I work in, we've had a pretty devastating time for the last... Um, two seasons trying to establish oilseed rape. Uh, two years ago we got it established only to have uh, severe larval damage from cabbage stem flea beetle as it came into the spring which decimated crop yields and then this year we've had very severe very severe drought um, which has meant that um, a lot of seed didn't even make it out of the ground before sort of the growing window was up for it in the autumn which meant that the crop was not viable going ahead. Um, economically is there still any point and the, the problem really is that um, oilseed rape is still obviously one of the highest value commodity products you can put for a front of a combine uh, when you look at um, pulses uh, linseed other broad acre combinable crop break crops the uh, the margins to be gained from sort of uh, average yields of those isn't even up to the sort of yield of a mediocre rate crop really so it's whether you want to play the risk game yeah it is a risk that's the problem that, isn't is, it? that is the problem absolutely yes yeah. you've been giving a few examples here today of perhaps try and mitigate the problem to try and Fix it, if you like. Just, yeah. just talk us through some of those. Yeah, um, really, um, it, it's about thinking about... Um Oilseed rape is the smallest seed you probably sow on a combinable crop farm. So it's really thinking about the conditions you want to sow that seed in to get it up and away. And that's really having the soil structure right on your farm, creating a nice seed bed for the crop to go into, um, thinking about the pests, the cabbage stem flea beetle, the slugs that can attack the oilseed rape, and uh, thinking about how you can create a, a nice, fine, consolidated seed bed to mitigate those pests as a much a problem, getting the nutrition right for the crop so it get, when it pokes its head above the ground it's up and away and there's nothing holding it back and also thinking about the weed control because obviously weeds compete with resources with the oilseed rape crop and obviously if you can control the weeds and uh, and get that side right as well the oilseed rape crop will thrive as well. You mentioned obviously slugs, flea beetle as well, seeing some damage in the autumn. I guess the fear is if they're already in there, come the spring again in the new year, there's going to be a bigger problem still. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the the, 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 the jury's out a bit. I mean, uh, but I think because of the drought, we probably haven't really ascertained whether the adult grazing damage from the cabbage stem flea beetle was as high this autumn as last autumn. Um, but yeah, you're right, they, they were out there, and, um, and, and time will tell. And, you know, it is quite a kick in the teeth, really, when you come to the spring to find your rape plants starting to be stunted by cabbage stem flea beetle larvae. So there are things that can be done, but as you say, it is all a risk. Yeah, it is all a risk, and I think um, we've, you know, there are there are things that can be done uh, culturally as well as chemically, and that, that that that's one of the big messages to get over as well. Andrew Blasey of Prime Agriculture. Well, uh, issues such as pest control are never far from the lips of our own agronomist Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Hello, Sean. And uh, talking there about the the oilseed rape, certainly in the the southeast and the problems they faced. I mean, pest control it picks up on what you've been saying over the last few well, over a year now. 
Yeah, and, and it's something which is only going to get worse and it's only going to come more into the fore as we go through because obviously um, AICC, of which I'm chairman, was involved in a big survey we did on oilseed rape and cabbage stem flea beetle last autumn and 75,000 acres was affected. You know, that is a massive amount. And yes, and it is a significant thing, yes, we need to keep talking about it because... If we lose these seed dressings, it's not just going to be all seed rape that gets impacted. It's winter wheat, it's sugar beet, it's an awful lot of things. So when you start looking at pest resistance as a general topic, there's no question that we are the engineers of our own downfall. We have to accept that it is because we have chosen the path of wheat rape, wheat rape, wheat rape, that we have got these sorts of levels of resistance. But now we need to learn from the mistakes, now we need to move on, and now we need to start working out how we're going to deal with it. And that only comes from going back to basics, getting rotations into the job, getting diversity of crops, and using insecticides sparingly. This is the whole thing, really. Routine and blanket bombing of insecticides is the worst thing we can possibly do. So I, I absolutely agree fundamentally with everything that he said, and it, it is very, very difficult. Um, situation that we're in but we just have to manage it it's like brexit it's like trump we've just got to get on with it absolutely what about uh, everything else with agriculture the weather's all over the place at the minute it's freezing cold one minute mild as we start a new week absolutely typical winter really um the good news i think it is that we did have temperatures low enough talking about aphid control really and insect uh, resistance we did have temperatures in november december which were cold enough to stop the aphid threat so there'll be very little migration into the crop so hopefully we should when you get minus eight that's that's cold enough to stop aphids and we had that in november december hopefully it shouldn't be a bad bydv year therefore there will be no hurry to go charging in with insecticides this spring um other things are a problem though pigeons we mentioned them last week pigeons rabbits in particular are absolutely decimating some of these crops of all seed rape and because soil temperatures are now so low we're down in the naught point rather than the one point or two point these crops are not growing out of the damage and that's quite significant it may well come mild again then it will come cold again then mild again so we'll see fits and starts but until we get days where we've got consecutive six degrees we're not going to see an awful lot of um, movement so it is vital you are on your metal particularly against pigeons and rabbits but also don't just assume that because it's freezing cold you're not going to have a slug problem because they're back we can find them in the field quite easily so tailor your product a wet process product is probably better because it will last longer the one and a half percent products you get more bait points therefore that's the whole principle with slug pelleting make sure you've got enough bait points for the slugs to take and don't assume they're those one centimeter long slugs because a lot of these slugs are tiny little two and three millimeter long things and they can do an awful lot of damages left unchecked um, and as we move forward over the next few weeks far too early yet to be thinking about fungicides on rape but when you do cover light leaf spot cover foma use products which are capable of doing everything for the right money uh, but also when you come to nitrogen applications remember you have to have a plan in place for nitrogen applications applications before you start just remember if you've got a backward crop they're the ones that you're going to want to start on first only when things warm up though towards the end of february and be be governed by temperature and not by calendar date and remember 
the backward crops won't have the need for nitrogen that some of the more forward crops do. They'll only want about a third of the total nitrogen. So don't just give them half and then half again at the end of uh, March, April. So, yeah, very interesting things going on out there. The disease is held. It's not dead. Remember, yellow rust, it takes cold enough to kill the leaf to kill the yellow rust. We've nothing like that. So planning, planning, planning. Um, And the worst blackgrass areas, that's the thing to do. Walk about, see where your blackgrass is and make some difficult decisions about glyphosating off these patches before you start spending more money on fungicides, herbicides, fertilisers, etc, etc, etc. It'll pay in the long run. Thank you. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services, fresh from a successful after-dinner speech to the Weald NFU in Kent on Thursday. I'm told it was a very good event as well. Do you remember the lyrics from that song, The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain? Well, the rain in Spain and subsequent flooding, among other issues, has had a big effect on the kind of vegetables on sale in supermarkets over here at the moment. We noticed the problem surrounding courgettes right at the start of the year, and since then it's got worse. So are we relying too much on wanting the same kind of vegetables all year round? Should we change our habits and maybe concentrate on what's available season by season and grown locally instead? Jack Ward is Chief Executive of the British Growers Association. Well, as you say, we've had some shocking weather um, across southern Europe. Um, They've had some really serious frosts in um, Italy and they've had some really bad flooding in Spain. And as you say, that has affected um, supplies of uh, produce that are grown in those areas. I mean, they'd obviously be out of season in terms of growing in the UK and it has resulted in um, produce being quite short uh, and often to make up what's happening is that the produce is now being flown from California to make up the shortfall. The important thing to remember here is that everything is dependent on the weather. Irrespective of where it's grown and when it's grown, we are very, very dependent on the weather. And I think part of the problem is that we've come to perhaps um, think that there is a technical fix for most problems, but actually the weather is the overriding thing which growers have to contend with. Now, this is unusual to get these kind of conditions in the Mediterranean at this time of year. Um, you know, people would have put the programmes together with a reasonable degree of confidence that the production would have been there and then we could have had it back into the UK. So, yeah, um, this was kind of largely unforeseeable and unexpected. Uh, it's important to recognise that there is a plentiful supply of vegetables. There are all kinds of things that are being grown in the UK at the moment, particularly in the brassica section. Um, you know, there are just a number of products which would be imported at this time of year, um, which are in slightly short supply. I think what it does highlight is that, you know, we've now got a very, very sophisticated supply chain um, where it is possible, given the right weather conditions, to source pretty much whatever consumers want um, at any time of the year. But, you know, I come back to this point, everything is dependent on getting the right weather. And just from time to time, you do come across these very strange weather conditions which we're experiencing at the moment in, um, in the Mediterranean, um, which interrupt that supply chain. Jack Ward there of the British Growers Association, who I uh, last saw in person, I seem to think, in a field of peas near Boston. Veg that's still on the shelves, you'll be glad to hear. There's no shortage in potatoes either, at least I hope not. Colin Jackson of PJP? Yeah, morning, Sean. Morning. Well, yeah, no, not at the moment. Um, um, I will say watch this space um, because there is um, a real difference in of opinion within the trade as to whether or not we have got enough spuds to see us through the season or whether there might be a shortage come the end of the season. Now, it's not going to happen until 
you know, getting round to the end of the season, which realistically is sort of May-June time um, when we might have an effect. Um, but uh, but certainly, you know, the crop wasn't a bumper crop this year. Um, planting levels were similar to uh, to previous years. And, and last season, there was a bit of a shortage, you know, towards the end of the season. And that has driven this season's relatively high prices. Um, now, high prices will naturally limit demand a little bit. So uh, part of the trade thinks, well, because of the relatively high prices through this season, um, demand has been limited, so there's going to be enough spuds. Other parts of the trade think that, yeah, no, there is definitely going to be a shortage. So uh, no one knows. Watch this space. Mm. Concerning tyres then potentially, what are, what are prices like at the moment? Well, they're, they're sort of maintaining a level of, depending on, you know, for which job they're, they're suitable for. At this time of year, you'll tend to find that good quality top-end stores um, where people can, can, can uh, control the temperatures good enough for frying at the, the, the best you're talking about sort of 250 up to 300 pounds a ton for very very good frying potatoes suitable for fish and chip shops that kind of thing um packing trade you know for supermarkets is again in a similar kind of level but maybe not quite up to the 300 um but then you know there's there's stores which are not so good and the quality has gone off a little bit and for those kind of things realistically the price is anywhere from about 120 up towards that sort of 200 pound level so um there's a big big variation in prices at the moment well of course we've gone through the festive period we've started a new year already at the end of uh, end of january how how are things so far this year yes well we always find that the january period is very much one where people sort of tend to take stock um They'll tend to have a look when the weather starts to warm up, sort of into February and March. They'll tend to then have a look and think, oh, we've got several spuds left. We need to be moving on. Or actually, oh, blimey, we haven't got many left. We need to slow down a little bit. And so we do tend to find that the trade stagnates at this time of year. Um, and it'll be another sort of, you know, four or six weeks, really, when the trade sort of makes its mind up which way it is going to move. Thank you. Colin Jackson of PJP. On to grain then, and it's Tom Miller this week. What's the latest, Tom? Um, relatively quiet again. Um, farms are kind of coming back and seeing what the market's doing, and the market's firmed up, it keeps firming up, and it's being underpinned, so people are kind of sitting on their hands a little bit, thinking the market might go that little bit further. Um, but they've been relatively flat over the week on both the futures and the cash. Um, prices remain underpinned, as I said, despite the firmer sterling, which would normally see prices on the defensive. Um, but the January USDA supply and demand report uh, didn't spring any surprises, only served to underline the known fact of record crops and stocks around the world, although you know UK is tight. Uh, one area of interest was a reduction in the US winter wheat area, uh, which exceeded expectations. So weather really has been viewed as mostly benign for growing crops in the northern hemisphere, uh, despite some extreme cold weather across parts of Europe, boasting varying degrees of snow cover with potential winter kill, um, which is unlikely to be assessed until crops break dormancy in the spring. So that'll be mainly Russia and the states down there, which we'll start to look at. Um, South America has been a tale of too dry in Brazil and too wet in Argentina. Soybean and maize yields potentially at risk, especially in the case of the latter, but as time goes on, the picture will become clearer. 
Um, Brexit and its impact on sterling's performance continues. Uh, currency markets supported domestic values and its depreciation has allowed UK exports by the end of December to reach 1.1 million tonnes, further tightening the UK balance sheet. Million premiums, as we just discussed before, uh, they still remain on the defensive due to the increase in the planted area of milling varieties uh, and the general good quality of this season's crop hasn't helped. Um, both UK ethanol plants have been in production in the UK, uh, which also has underpinned values in the market. Um, but the market will need to be aware of the proximity to import parity of other wheat and maize origins, particularly as UK wheat is currently uncompetitive for export, um, meaning the remaining surplus could weigh on values towards the end of the season if maize and wheat does come into the UK. So spot feed wheat, uh, 141 to 144x, May 147 to 150x, uh, November 17 is 130 to 132x. Uh, nearby Group 1 million premiums, as I've said, continue to be poor at five to six pounds over feed feed barley 117 to 121x may 121 to 126 harvest barley is 109 to 113 and november 112 to 115x so a quick look at rape, rapeseed relatively little news in the market this week we we'll still talk about south american weather uh, the strength or weakness of the pound, whichever way you want to look at it, imports of Australian rapeseed into Europe and any potential impacts of Trump's new direction for US industry and trade that could have an impact on the market. Any worsening trade relationships with China will affect the sale of US soybeans um, to China. Again, you know that depends how Trump gets on in the coming months. Um, while support for the oil industry is likely to come at the expense of biofuels in the petrol and the diesel. So Matif Futures hit contract highs for the February contract because that becomes technical and comes to an end, uh, although this has put the May at an €8 inverse to the Feb. Um, Domestic front, the strengthening of the pound from 113 to 118 has reduced ex-farm prices here, uh, although spot domestic values are still strong while merchants cover in their short positions. Uh, Ex-farm prices are currently circa 355 for spot delivery, uh, ex-farm, sorry, 320 for harvest and 330 for November. Feed bean market continues to be firm. That's on the basically on the lack of sellers and frustrated buyers. No human consumption premium, uh, and those with human consumption quality should lo- start to look to uh, sellers feed given the current prices. Um, still very difficult to export human consumption beans. There's no demand uh, on on the export side or the domestic side. Um, feed beans are worth 155 to 160 x for Feb March. Thank you, Tom Miller from Open Field. The farming program five day forecast. Yes, let's turn to the uh, weather then. Some sunshine, but it will cloud over with rain to come later on today. Could be heavy in places by this evening. Highs 5 or 6 Celsius, the wind from the south-southwest 10-15 miles an hour. Overnight tonight, then, that uh, heavy band of rain drifting uh, across the area. Uh, Fairly mild, actually. Temperatures rising as a result. 9 Celsius, the low overnight tonight, believe it or not. The wind from the south-southwest at uh, 15, gusting at 30 miles an hour for a time. Further rain tomorrow. Highs 9, 10, maybe even 11 Celsius in places. The wind from the south again about 15, gusting at 25 miles an hour. And then overnight, showers staying cloudy, 10 Celsius generally the low. The wind from the south, 15, gusting at 30 miles an hour. Through Tuesday, overcast, but it should be drier. Temperatures still uh, 10, 11, maybe 12 Celsius. That southerly winds from uh, 15 miles an hour gusting at 30, maybe 35 miles an hour through Tuesday. And then overnight, staying cloudy, a few showers possible, lows of 9 Celsius. The wind still from the south, 15, gusting at 30 miles an hour. 
For the middle of the week, much the same as Tuesday, really. The possibility of a shower, patchy cloud, highs of 10 or 11 Celsius. The wind from the south, southwest at 15, maybe gusting at 25, maybe 30 miles an hour first thing. And then the latter end of the week, well, it should get a little bit cooler. We're looking at daytime highs nearer 7 or 8 Celsius. Again, possibility that there may be another band of rain sweeping across as well. That wind continuing from the south, overnight lows nearer 6 or 7 degrees. That's the forecast. Now, we're going full circle this week, back to the discussion earlier about avian flu, particularly after that latest case in Boston on Thursday. Agricultural chaplain Alan Robson is among those offering support. The basic message to farmers affected is, you're not alone. We try to ensure that everybody out there uh, knows that we are accessible. We want people not to feel totally isolated. I remember through foot and mouth how isolated people can begin to feel when you know, biosecurity is such a high level um, and people coming in and off site is extremely difficult and people become reluctant. Um, so you become increasingly living on an island and you just need somebody to talk to or uh, have a shout out or to ask a question of. Uh, while you're in the midst and there's lots of information on the web and through the veterinary association and through defra but um sometimes you just need another voice and so what we're saying i'm saying as agricultural chaplain and lincolnshire rural support network likewise uh, don't feel isolated to talk we've got a challenging few years and we certainly could do without avian flu um but you know Farming folk are resilient, and they have been in all my time uh, you know, watching the various scenarios of blue tongue or uh, PWNS in the pigs and uh, whatever. They, they tend to be very good supporters of each other. Um, but, um, yes, there's lots of challenges ahead. Um, and yeah, There's lots of good advice out there, and there's lots of good support um, professionally and voluntarily uh, through LRSN. So I, I, as long as people don't feel you know, that the world is going to end tomorrow, it's not. Um, it might feel like it, but it's not, and there will always be a way through. Wise words from agricultural chaplain Alan Robson. That's it then for another week. We'll do it all over again at the same time next Sunday. Until then, do try to have a good week's farming.